The Honorable, the United States Court of Appeals for the First Circuit is now in session. All persons having any business before this Honorable Court may give their attendance and they shall be heard. God save the United States of America and this Honorable Court. Court is in session. Today's cases will be called as previously announced. The times will be as allotted to counsel. The first case today is United States v. Sean J. Trahan, appeal number 22-1390. Attorney Fick, please introduce yourself for the record and proceed with your argument. Attorney David Sentis, thank you. Go ahead, Attorney Fick. Good morning. May it please the court, William Fick for the defendant's appellant, Sean Trahan, and I'd like to uh, reserve three minutes for rebuttal, if the court will permit. You may have three minutes. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, may I proceed? Yes. So, Mr. Trahan was sentenced to an enhanced 10-year mandatory minimum sentence for federal child pornography offenses based on a prior state conviction under a statute that criminalizes at least some material that would not qualify as child pornography under federal law. In typical applications of the categorical approach across a variety of cases and statutes, we would ordinarily say that a state statute that reaches further than a federal definition is overbroad and cannot be a triggering predicate. What makes the issue more confounding in this case, however, is the phrase relating to in the statute. And I say confounding because uh, it has split the circuits. The key question here is whether the phrase relating to somehow loosens the usual categorical strictures such that sentencing courts can overlook the state statute's overbreadth. And we submit the answer to that question is no for several reasons. Counsel, um, our circuit has a large number of cases, one of which I wrote recently, uh, giving the, excuse me, giving the term related to quite a broad definition, specifically uh, as to uh, child pornography offenses. I don't understand an argument that where Congress has used the language related to, and if that uh, language clearly encompasses the state crime, why the categorical approach, which is a judge-made doctrine, could possibly overwhelm the congressional choice. But that seems to be an assumption you have made in your argument. So isn't this, in the end, really just a statutory interpretation case? Well, it's a statutory interpretation case that is governed by a large body of case law on top of the language of the statute here. And to the extent... Your Honor was referring to your uh, your opinion in the Winchuk case. Um, the the issue there was a bit different, right? The question there was whether the uh, no counsel actually it's a much more recent case. But uh, again, um, why can we disregard a congressional command uh, in favor of a judge-made doctrine as to a categorical approach? Well, I would suggest it's not disregarding a congressional command. And, and I think first, if you look to the structure of the statute at issue here, I think that's that can be illustrated. And to help visualize this, I would even refer the court to the little three-column diagram on page three of the reply brief. And what I was trying to illustrate there is that the phrase relating to in this statute 
modifies child pornography offenses differently from other kinds of offenses. With regard to child pornography, relating to modifies enumerated acts or conduct, production, possession, receipt, mailing, etc. The object of the offense is in another part of the sentence sort of standing apart. The statute could have simply said relating to child pornography just as it says relating to the sexual exploitation of children, but it doesn't. Um, and so to the extent relating to has a broadening effect, it operates as a matter of plain language on the acts, not the object. And the government's so, so argument I actually in its brief was actually helpful here in illustrating how that might be. Just an, Did you make an that argument in your reply brief or in your opening brief? Well, it's it's sort of a, an expansion of the argument in the opening brief that the little chart was in the reply, and it's sort of uh, that's a response to the argument the government makes, which I think was helpful in helping me visualize how the different clauses of the statute are different. What the government pointed out in its brief was that the unconsummated purchase of child pornography, which would be, you know, it's directly covered by the state offense, but not the federal offense. The government said, well, an, an unconsummated purchase is an attempt to possess that relates to the possession of child pornography. And so to the extent relating to has a broadening effect, as a matter of plain language, it operates on the verbs. And as a practical example of how that might work, um, the government's argument, I think, illustrates that. But um, it would, it, it's, it's simply, right, the, the, the cases that talk about other clauses of the statute or other, other examples where relating to modifies a generic offense um, are really inapposite because here the phrase relating to in the child pornography predicate clause does not modify a generic offense. It modifies specific enumerated species of conduct. But, but and the object of the offense is separate. Uh, I, I, I think that Judge Montecalvo's question was getting at a question that, that I had. This is uh, a, a very sophisticated argument, and I commend you for it. But is the argument that relating to modifies conduct rather than the object of the offense, is that argument squarely made in your opening brief? There's, there's a waiver question that's potentially well, involved here, and that's a matter of some concern at least to me so you know look at, at some level right the the, the 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 there's a question about how specific an earlier argument must be to be preserved there is squarely yeah. an argument that there is a disconnect between the breadth of the state child pornography statute and the federal statute the the sort of nuances back and forth of that the argument the interplay back and forth with the government of course develops as between the opening brief and the reply brief but to say that, you know, one has to sort of just repeat the same arguments one made in the district court in the opening brief would be really just reductionist. And you would and there no, no reason. Mr. Fick, actually, uh, the argument was self-evident from the beginning. It didn't take uh, reply to the government's brief. Well, I think it's subsumed in the overbreadth argument. And, you know, to the extent... I didn't say the same exact words in the opening brief of the district court that I said in, in the reply brief. I, I, don't, I don't think the arguments was waived. I think it was a, a sort of natural extension of what the back and forth with the government was. And About I think five minutes remaining. Five minutes. Um, and, and if I can just move on to really a second reason, even putting aside the statutory structure, 
The second reason the court can't, a sentencing court can't overlook the overbreath is the Supreme Court's decision in Mullooly v. Lynch. That case held that a state conviction relating to a controlled substance required a categorical match with controlled substances defined by federal law. And the Supreme Court basically held that relating to does not blow up the usual application of the categorical approach. Now, the government says in response that Mullooly contained an express cross-reference to the definition of controlled substance in Title 21, and the statute at issue here contains no cross-reference. But, of course, as many of the courts sort of on our side of the circuit split have pointed out, there doesn't need to be an express cross-reference because everything is in the same chapter of the U.S. Code. Both the sentencing statute at issue, 2252A-B-1, and 2256 are all in Chapter 110. The definition of child pornography in 2256 expressly covers all of Chapter 110. And more than that, the statutory sentencing enhancements and the 2256 definition were both adopted in the same piece of legislation passed by Congress in 1996. So there's really no doubt that Congress, in talking about child pornography in both the sentencing enhancement and the statutory definition, was referring to the same thing, a term of art. And so really the distinction that the government and other courts have tried to draw with Mullooly, I would suggest, is an empty one. And Mullooly sort of says more clearly than one might even need that relating to where it operates on a statutorily defined term does not sort of distend the definition of that term or extend the definition of that term beyond recognition. The third reason not to expand the categorical approach in the way the government suggests is the sort of lack of any limiting principle. If relating to is sort of completely open-ended, where is the articulable standard? How much overlap is enough? What is the other criterion, which is the phraseology that the Supreme Court began to use in Shular when it first made the clear distinction between a categorical approach that conjures a generic offense out of the statute versus a categorical approach that applies some other criterion to make the categorical comparison? And the problem is that the government's approach here, which basically says, well, close enough is enough, leaves us without any articulable standard. And it raises the sorts of questions about due process and notice that the Supreme Court has been worried about in developing the categorical approach since Johnson and other cases. Mr. Fick, you're correct that there is a circuit split, and you're relying on, is it the Ninth and the Sixth Circuit cases? So the first argument you made, which was a textual interpretation argument, do the circuits you rely on adopt that reading? You say your second reading is supported by those circuits, but I'm asking about your first argument. I don't think that any of the other courts, whether it be the Sixth, the Ninth, or the Dissent and the Tenth and Bennett, they don't sort of lay out the sentence and chart it the same way that the argument was developed in my reply brief. Again, I don't... You've answered the question. Thank you. 
So, uh, absent other questions from the court on that argument, on the uh, the second uh, argument in the brief with regard to the uh, the imposition of the additional sentence for the offense while committed on uh, on release, um, I would simply say that uh, the the sort of bottom line argument the government makes is one of harmless error, but all of the cases on which it is predicated and and the the sort of uh, the intellectual basis of the argument is is the notion that um, this was just somehow an enhancement for an already charged crime, and that is not the case here. the 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 enhancement for the crime while committed on release is a separate statute, a separate crime, and because it was not charged by the grand jury, in, uh, it, the the notion that it's harmless to impose a sentence for that simply because the facts are admitted um, uh, is simply, uh, it's not sustainable. That argument's not sustainable. Do okay. I correctly understand, Mr. Fick, that the second issue goes away if we find a, find for you on the first issue? I believe that's correct because then the 3147 yeah. enhancement would not be a mandatory minimum or that's addition right. to a mandatory minimum, correct? That's the time. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Fick. At this time, if you would mute, and uh, if Attorney DeFincentis would unmute her audio and video. And introduce yourself on the record to begin. You have a 15-minute response. May it please the Court, Alexia DeFincentis on behalf of the United States. To start with the question of the 10-year mandatory minimum uh, enhancement that was applied here, as Judge Lynch correctly pointed out, this is a case of statutory interpretation. And the government submits that the text and context of this enhancement demonstrate that Congress employed the term relating to in its usual broadening sense. And the enhancement's history and purpose confirmed that intent. As well, it is but that doesn't, that doesn't answer the question, counsel, because, because even if you give it a broad interpretation, if that broad interpretation applies to conduct rather than the object of the offense, and then the the government is on pretty shaky ground. Well, the, the the defendant has gone from suggesting in his opening brief that relating to does no work at all to now suggesting for the first time in his reply brief and here at oral argument that relating to does some work, uh, just not the work that the government is suggesting that so, it does. So I, I, are you representing to us that the argument in that regard that Mr. Fick is making now is an argument that was not made either below or in his opening brief? That is correct, Judge Shelia. And okay. so on that view, the argument would be waived. But just to address Well, it, it would be waived or else it would be it would be judged by us for plain error. Oh, sure. Uh, no, I believe it would be Because waived. it may well it may be forfeited rather than waived. But I, I'm not sure that's a distinction that you not that's not that's not really a hill you want to die on. Sure, Your Honor. Um, and in any event, even if the court were to address those arguments on the merits, they fail. First of all, to the extent that the defendant is suggesting that relating to only captures in co-eight offenses, the simple reality is that if that is what Congress intended, it had a template for doing so. In fact, that template is identified in the very removal statute that was at issue in Maluli, which made an alien removable in the effect, in the event that he violated or conspired or attempted to violate a state law relating to um, relating to a controlled controlled substance as defined in 802. Uh, Congress did not choose that language here. Instead, what Congress chose was the language relating to, which this court has found 
in Silva, in Winsick, has a broadening effect. And that view was vindicated by the Supreme Court's decision in Pugin. And I would note uh, that at oral argument in Pugin, several justices questioned whether they even needed to get into the meaning of relating to at all in the event that the court agreed, as it ultimately did, that the government's definition of obstruction of justice controlled. And yet the, the court's opinion in Pugin does just that. It gets into the meaning of relating to, assigns it its ordinary broad meaning, and it does so, moreover, over a dissent. And Pugin affirmed the First Circuit, both the Fourth Circuit and the First Circuit view of the breadth of relating to, correct? Exactly, exactly Judge Lynch. Now, turning to the, the, the new argument in the reply brief that somehow relating to only modifies the actus reus here, I point out that the defendant cites no canon of statutory construction and no grammatical rule that would support that reading. It also is a reading that just doesn't comport with the case law or common sense. The Third Circuit in Porta Nova expressly recognized that relating to modifies the entirety of the phrase possession of child pornography. And I would point out that that view, that view does find support in the canons of construction, specifically the canon that holds that the meaning of a phrase or a word is ordinarily, ordinarily informed by the company it keeps. And as the defendant himself is quick to point out in his reply brief, in the first half of the sentencing enhancement, relating to is modifying offenses, suggesting that in the second half of the offense uh, of the statute, excuse me, the enhancement, it's doing the same. And possession without regard to the object of possession is not a criminal act. Therefore, the defendant's attempt to break apart the constituent parts of the object of the phrase relating to, we would submit fails, even if this court were to consider it on, on the merits. Um, now, I would have thought, actually, the government, if its view were to prevail, would prefer that we uh, decided on the merits and not leave the issue open. So what is the government urging us to do here? Well, I gathered from Your Honor's questions uh, to post to defense counsel that there was some concern that this argument hadn't initially been raised in the opening brief. However, we believe, as I've just suggested, that we, we have the correct view on the merits of those arguments, and we are content to have the court... So you would say, at best, plain error review, but uh, on plain error review, no error. No error, correct, correct. Okay. Okay, um, go ahead. Now, just to briefly uh, address the, the defendant's arguments related to Maluli, um, first and foremost, as we've already established, the baseline understanding of the word relating to here is a broad one. And as we've pointed out in the government's brief, where Congress instead intends a categorical match, it it makes that intent clearly and specifically, as it did in sections 3559, 2241, and 117, just to name a few. And I'd like to talk in particular about 2241, because the defendant is quick to point out that the uh, the state law trigger here was enacted at the same time that the definition of child pornography in 2256 was enacted. To our mind, that simply underscores the fact that Congress was well aware of this narrow definition of child pornography, and so all the more reason to use the broadening phrase relating to, so that the laws of 37 states would not would indeed qualify uh, for, for this enhancement. And 
in particular, in the Child Pornography Prevention Act of 1996, Congress amended the penalties for aggravated sexual abuse of a child to require a life sentence for state offenses that would have been an offense under certain federal laws in the event that they occurred in federal prison. We submit that this difference in language demonstrates a difference in meaning. As the Supreme Court said in Rustello, where Congress includes particular language in one section of a statute but omits it in another section of the same act, it's generally presumed that Cong Congress acts intentionally and purposefully in the disparate inclusion or exclusion. The point here being that Congress could have said a state offense that would have been an offense under certain federal provisions, or it could have referred to an offense involving or prohibiting, as it has done in other statutory sentencing enhancements. But Congress instead deliberately chose to employ the broader relating to language. Counsel, you spent, um, you cited the two Seventh Circuit cases, Kaufman and Kramer. Should we make anything of the fact that the Seventh Circuit has now, I think, reviewed that law on Bonk? Um, it, it has taken the issue on Bonk, and there will be argument in that case, I believe, on October 27th. Um, however, to the extent that the defendant wants this court to read into that on Bonk order some suggestion that the the on Bonk review is somehow a death knell for the government's position, I would submit that that is highly speculative. And in fact, I think if one looks at these specific questions on which the Seventh Circuit um directed the parties to submit supplemental briefing, equally plausible is, the seven, is that the Seventh Circuit took that question on Bonk in order to clean up some of its case law surrounding the categorical approach. Um, specifically, the Seventh Circuit, in a number of cases, has held that when you are under this other criterion type of analysis, that that means that the, the state statute must necessarily entail certain conduct. In other words, the Seventh Circuit has gone down the path that the defendant himself uh, in his opening brief suggested this court follow, uh, but which the defendant has abandoned in his reply, and I think appropriately so, because under the other criterion approach to the uh, categorical analysis, it's not a one-size-fits-all analysis. It depends on the language of the underlying statute, and that underlying statute might say involving, as in Schuller, or it might say has as an element, as in Taylor, or it might say, as it does here, relating to, which has a different import. Um, unless the court has any further questions on that particular issue, I would like to briefly address the, uh, the Aline-based claim here. Um, the defendant appears in his reply brief to go from arguing, uh, from accepting in his opening brief that this is a sentencing enhancement, to somehow suggesting in his reply brief that it should be a standalone count of conviction. And I would just point out that there is no case law support for that. In fact, this court in Randall expressly described 3147 as a sentencing enhancement, and every court of appeals to consider the question has agreed. Indeed, the, the Third Circuit and Lewis threw out a purported conviction under 3147 on plain error review, on the view that it is clear that this is a sentencing enhancement. Now, we recognize for purposes of a lien that it is somewhat of a distinction without a difference. Um, but I point it out because I think that it is the defendant's pivot here is an attempt to disguise what is an utter lack of any response whatsoever to the government's harmlessness argument. This court's About five law, minutes, five minutes. This court's case law in um, Harakali and McIvory makes clear that these types of errors, even assuming there is one here, that this error would be subject to review for harmlessness beyond a reasonable doubt and that a defendant's admissions uh, 
clear that hurdle with room to spare. And in particular here, the defendant was specifically informed when he was released on conditions in 2015 and again in 2020 that this penalty was at play. Uh, at the Rule 11, the government specifically again, identified this as the penalty that was at play. And the defendant confirmed that he had discussed the penalties with his counsel. And he thereafter proceeded to admit the fact necessary to trigger the 3147 enhancement, both at the Rule 11 hearing and, again, by failing to object to that fact in the PSR. So with that, this is clearly harmless. I was looking at our um, McIvory case, which you cite quite a bit. And then the one thing that struck me as a little bit different here was in McIvory, the enhancement was due to the quantity of drugs, which were already charged, right? It just, we weren't, the charging wasn't specific about the quantity of drugs. And here the enhancement is due to a different offense, not charged, completely separate, right, in time. Um, what Are we to make anything of that difference? Uh, no, and in, in fact, I would point out that Heracali, on which McIvory relied, included no allegations in the indictment regarding drug offense. And in fact, in McIvory, the defendant attempted to distinguish Heracali on the grounds that one involved some allegation of drug event, uh, of drug quantities and the other did not. And this court specifically rejected that as a distinction without a difference. Unless there are further questions, the government would rest on its brief. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. At this time, you can mute your audio and video. Attorney Fick, please reintroduce yourself on the record to begin. You have a three-minute rebuttal. Thank you. William Fick for the defendant appellant, Sean Trahan. Um, I'd like to turn first to the, the government's arguments about Pugin and the, the sort of the cases that have recently described the quote-unquote broadening effect of the phrase relating to. And I think it's important to note that in Pugin and those cases, relating to was not used or deployed by the court to sort of blow up the categorical approach. In Pugin, for example, the, the, the sort of bottom line of, of, of the court's holding was that a generic obstruction of justice offense does not require that there be a pending, uh, you know, a, a pending uh, action or investigation. And so while an expansive reading of relating to might support that, ultimately the, the categorical approach was not sort of, uh, was not changed, was not expanded because the court held that the generic statute itself covered the conduct of conviction. And so, uh, excuse me, counsel, are you suggesting that when the Supreme Court says relating to uh, is historically understood to be a broadening, encompassing language used by Congress, that there is a different interpretation of the phrase uh, when uh, it is used in a sentencing case involving a categorical approach? I'm not suggesting there's a different interpretation. It is an expansive phrase. It, it, it evinces a, an intent by Congress to, to cast a broad net, but there are constitutional and case law limits to that. One thing the Supreme Court did not do in Pugin was was to uh, to in any way repudiate its holding in Mullooly, which I would suggest is okay. more squarely so, okay. applicable here. So your argument goes back to Mullooly. Thank you. Right. Go ahead. And, and, and the other point is that, uh, you know, the other point that I did make in the opening brief, which I think supports the later statutory interpretation argument or is a reason why the, the statutory interpretation, the statutory structure argument is sort of built into it, is that in uh, Shular, the court said 
you either use a generic offense approach or you find some other criterion, some other limiting criterion to limit your categorical analysis. The opening brief squarely argued that that other criterion is federally defined child pornography. That is really the only criterion that, that could be applied or used in this case. Um, the argument about the statute is really sort of it's like it's like the the, the 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 undergirders for that argument, and it's also a natural extension or a natural reaction to the the arguments the government made in its opening brief. And so, you know, uh, I, I guess I, I would continue to take exception to the court's view, if it is the court's view, that that was an entirely new or waived argument. I think it's a it's a it's a facet of the underlying support for arguments that were made, and it squarely supports the argument about Shular and how the Shular other criterion approach has to be used, given the statutory language we have here, where That's child time. pornography stands alone as the only other proportion, uh, possible criteria. I'm sorry, was that time? Yes. Yes, your right. time Thank is you. up. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes argument in this case.